What's going on, everyone? It is time for the Awesome NFL Strategy Show. We are talking the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl is back this year at Las Vegas Allegiant Stadium, 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're still here. We're still talking NFL strategy because there are DFS slates to try to conquer here this weekend. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Gajeski. Follow him on Twitter, Matt underscore Gajeski. How are you today, Matt? I'm doing good. The Pro Bowl is a, is a decent animal to take down here. It's like preseason in a way where we don't necessarily know who is going to be playing a majority of these snaps. We, we do know the starters, at least, which is positive. But there's a lot of preseason feel here is the way. I, and it's interesting because it's not preseason caliber players, but it's preseason in the way that playing time is so uncertain. And there's some edges I think we can certainly exploit. But how are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. I'm excited to be talking some strategy here. I really, this is uh, uncharted waters for me, to be honest, because I had not really played the Pro Bowl. Then the projections came out and the slate came out. And I was like, all right, clearly we're going to, we're getting, we're diving into this one. And yeah, I agree here. There's a preseason feel, but. You know, we were looking at some research earlier this week that shows that there are some, you know, key edges, at least from the last three or four seasons of Pro Bowls that, you know, some trends that we can look at and try to exploit here. Uh, But like you said, preseason means there's going to be a lot of high variance. I think absolutely nothing strategy wise off the table is off the table here this week. Um, And yeah, let's dig into that real quick, like from a bird's eye view. We'll start here with just, you know, how we treat this differently. When you say preseason strategy, can you dig into that a little more? What do you mean specifically? Yeah, so it's it has this preseason feel where it's not so much we're looking at raw projections, but we want to know playing time. Who is going to be on the field the most? And that's very difficult to decipher. In things like the preseason, we have beat reporter reports and things we can look at to try to figure some of those things out. With the Pro Bowl, it's more so historical trends. Like, how are these teams using players in the Pro Bowl? Are there any special rules we need to be aware of? How many of each player are on each of these rosters? And then generally, this is a game for fun. If you've ever ever watched the Pro Bowl before, we all know these guys aren't trying to get hurt. It's not your normal football game. A lot of them are just going to go to the ground, go out of bounds, and things like that that we just have to understand. So it's a showdown format. So all of you are familiar with that. But it's just the feel of the slate is a little bit different. Yeah, 100%. Agree with everything there. And there are some positional things that we've kind of noticed since uh, the since at least 2017 that we're definitely going to talk about as we get into this one. Matt, you know, we got an hour to break down one game. We got some time here. Is this really the best way to do the all-star game in the NFL at this point? You know, I'm excited to play some DFS, but like, let's brainstorm here for a second. Like I was talking with my buddy at the gym this week and you know, what about a seven on, you know, obviously give pro bowl honors. Let's have some skills competitions for the linemen. But like, as you said, nobody wants to get hurt. What about a seven on seven game? What about a flag football game? Like, am I, I'm just out of line here. Like, are we, are we, are we crazy? No, I don't think so. The only reason I watched the game is because I played DFS previously before DFS entered my life, this wasn't a game I had any interest in whatsoever. I remember watching it even as like a child, these teams were very lax. I mean, not really trying, I think is the easiest way to put it. So I'm with you. Seven on seven seems like a pretty good solution. Obviously the linemen aren't represented, but 
honestly, I wouldn't be opposed to doing away with the game altogether or whatever form the game may take and just doing skill competitions. We know these guys are crazy athletes. So it'd be cool to see them doing some things. I, I don't have any real life examples, but we know like the NBA all-star game, they do the dunk contest baseball. They do the home run derby. They're starting to experiment a little more with some of these things for the NFL pro bowl, but it would be cool to see them fully embrace it. So I think I would lean into more of the skill competitions. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they like really embrace because they used to when it was in Honolulu every year. Remember, they kind of embraced the Hawaii of it every time. And so they would have these competitions. But there was like it's very some, thematic is the way I, I'd probably put it. You know, some of them are so uh, dumb. <laughs> it's really like, true. But like, think, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It, it, well, in this time of in this time of betting being allowed and the game being in Vegas, you know, maybe you, you Vegasify things, if you will. A little yeah, bit. I, I remember not exactly sure what that means. They did like a drone drop, like who could catch the ball from the highest altitude, which I find particularly dumb. Like, who cares? I think something that'd be awesome is like a 40 yard dash or a hundred yard meter race. I remember it maybe in the heart of the pandemic, a couple of the fastest guys did like a charity sprint. Let's get all these guys out there, see them run, do things like that. Like who is the highest vertical jump? I think you could even like make it sort of like the combine see who's actually the best athlete in some of these mm -hmm. things or like short area quickness drills. I know they do like an obstacle course. It's probably my favorite. I don't know if they're doing that again this year, but fully embracing the skills and seeing just how athletic these guys are like dropping a punt from a drone really high in the air seems just as much luck as it is skill. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think you're kind of right there. Okay. All right. All right. Here's my final, here's my final pitch seven on seven, but the linemen who got elected to the Pro Bowl have to play one quarter, one full quarter at whatever position you want them to. I 100%. And if you incorporate the linemen and you need to use like one lineman on every single play and there's like certain rules that specify what players have to be on the field at a certain time, I'm fully on board. We, we've the linemen are great athletes too. I mean... Like I, I remember Tristan Wirfs at the combine, the dude had one of the craziest vertical jump size adjusted I've ever seen. I, Tristan Wirfs can probably dunk a basketball with ease. Like these linemen, I don't think people realize how athletic some of them truly are. It would be cool to see them do stuff like that. That's true. That's true. Like defensive ends and linebackers out there, they have like physical traits that are very similar to bat, like the best athletes in the NBA. It would be really cool to see them out there. Jordan Klein in, in chat. We want the shuttle run. Yeah, exactly. Like, I want you know, the shuttle run. We're going to do the whole old presidential fitness tests. That's what we're going to do. Oh, I never passed uh, it. Oh, gosh, no. Gosh, no. Absolutely. I, I actually figured you would want. <laughs> I couldn't touch the flexibility. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. All right. You know, now that we've like got into completely off the deep end within the first 15 minutes of the show, definitely give us a like and a subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much, much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification buttons to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to ch also check out today's free premium tools and data, which are NBA ownership rankings and NHL player rankings 
and as well as our monthly podcast giveaway. Oh, this is cool. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Awesomeo username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Awesomeo Plus Platinum. And guys, while we're just doing this first uh, part of the show, I want to remind you guys at 12 o'clock, do not turn off this stream. Keep it right here. We've got the fan up NFL strategy stream with Greg and with Terry, where they're going to be going through tournament strategy uh, specifically for fan up for an extra half hour. All you got to do is not close this out once we say goodbye at the end of the hour here. So just going to remind you now, going to remind you later, excuse me, and then uh, we'll get you we'll get you going with that fan up offer that we have going on right now. It's pretty cool over there. All right. Okay, let's dig into the actual game at hand, Matt. We'll start by going position by position, usually kind of go game by game here for the strategy show, but with only one game and with so much uncertainty with the playing time, I think it is actually more uh, beneficial to go through this team by team and position by position. So let's start with the quarterbacks in the AFC. Justin Herbert has been named the starter here and not surprising the AFC West was one of the strongest divisions in football they have two quarterbacks uh represented here Patrick Mahomes will be playing and Lamar Jackson will be here as well what are your initial thoughts about these players and then looking at the strategy are there any values that stand out for you yeah they're all amazing quarterbacks I very easy to say that so pricing is going to be the biggest thing here for me on the AFC where we have Herbert is the most expensive Mahomes and then Lamar. The first thing I'll say about Lamar, these running quarterbacks historically aren't exactly maximizing their mobility in these games. Obviously they don't want to get hurt. And I think that's the main reason driving this. So when we talk about Lamar here, I wouldn't expect him to be taking off and running. Maybe there's a designed run here or there where he slides or quickly gets out of bounds, but don't expect Lamar to be taking hits. If you're actually just looking at the pure passers, and I think they want to make this game entertaining, they're going to encourage passing. That lends itself more to Herbert and Mahomes. I think Herbert as the starter here, he's somebody you can look to with just a 200 price difference on DraftKings specifically. But ultimately, I do have a preference towards the top two at the board, just with Lamar, probably not using his legs as much. But how do you view the quarterbacks for the AFC? I I personally think that Mahomes is a pretty easy value for me. You know, we don't have a lot of of you know certainty about the way this snap share ends up going because all three of these players are going to play plenty here. But at least we have some historical trends that say that two AFC quarterbacks in the Patrick Mahomes era are capable of having 125 plus yards passing and a touchdown here in this game. But that's really the ceiling. I do think that there's like a, a, a one percentile out, outcome for Lamar Jackson where like he gets a run to the outside, breaks a tackle, and then nobody wants to touch him for the entertainment value of him just like streaking down the sidelines. So I'm not going to completely rule him out in a way that, you know, we might say in general, rushing quarterbacks underperform. I don't disagree with that. But Mahomes for me is that one player on the AFC side that I think with his two superstar players in the lineup as well, you know, I think there's just, you know, maybe a camaraderie factor that we can't really quantify. But uh, I, I just finished a, a prize picks video and we are sponsored by prize picks in this stream as well. And, and one of my top plays this week for the Pro Bowl is Patrick Mahomes over 68.5 passing yards. I think that's a pretty easy over if he gets even just like eight or nine pass attempts. Yeah, that could happen on one play. I mean, they're going to take shots downfield. Corners aren't going to be 
playing as tight of coverage as they normally would be. You typically see a lot of scoring in these games, but there's a lot of volatility too. With Lamar Jackson, even though he's not running, he could easily be the guy that completes a deep ball here too. And you mentioned the overall stat lines, like around 150 yards in his score. I think that's pretty routine for quarterbacks. The way quarterback is scored on DraftKings specifically, to me, it lends itself more to a flex play than a captain play. You know, you're getting four points for the touchdown. You're not catching any passes, so you don't have any PPR bonuses here. Very, very unlikely to hit a 300-yard passing bonus. So to me, these players are quite safe, but their ceiling is limited. For example, with Patrick Mahomes, there was a couple balls to a receiver. Those PPR points and the six-point touchdown could easily outscore Mahomes himself. So when I am playing quarterbacks, for me, it's going to be in the flex position more than the captain. How do you view that strategy? Oh, that that is a great point, Matt. You know, I hadn't I hadn't actually gone to that logical conclusion, but that makes all the sense in the world, right? Because the salary for quarterbacks on these slates are increased because their statistics are significantly higher. Their volume statistics are significantly higher. But if you take that volume edge away because they're splitting time, quarterbacks are with two other superstars at the position then suddenly that salary differential doesn't make a whole lot of sense and of course the salaries are pretty linear here as you would expect and we do have skill position players at the top but it still doesn't mean that there's a lot of certainty of ceiling in the way with quarterbacks that we typically have there 300 yards passing is almost completely out of the question here unless like something pretty freakish happens or you know you know, knock on wood, this doesn't happen, but like somebody gets hurt or pulls something and, you know, they're down to one or two quarterbacks for the remainder of the game. Yeah. Sean in our chat, good friend, Sean, awesome employee says Lamar's not playing in the game. Chris Mortensen reported that he won't play in the Pro Bowl due to his ankle injury. And he's questionable on our DraftKings platform. So just watch that again. This game literally means nothing. You're going to see players withdraw from the game by the time this video ends. So Everything we said about Lamar, whoever his replacement is, same exact logic, same exact analysis. It looks like it might be Mac Jones. Obviously, Mac Jones isn't going to run, but we weren't expecting Lamar to run much either. So literally, it's the same analysis. Mac Jones would be the best quarterback play, in my opinion, on the board, just because he's extremely cheap. Yeah. The... So, I mean, like, yeah, I guess that's don't, right. Like, I mean... if you're watching this video a couple of days later, like, guys are going to opt out of the game. The game means nothing. Just... You got you guys understand. Yeah, yeah. And, the analysis is the same. It's about who plays, not what if we think Lamar is great or not. That's a great point, right? Because like the ceiling probability for any of these AFC quarterbacks at the top is really essentially the same, right? Because Justin Herbert is going to be throwing to Tyreek Hill, Deontay Johnson, Stephon Diggs, Hunter Renfro underneath, and Travis Kelsey at the tight end position. Like, he's going to be able to find people just as well as Patrick Mahomes. And obviously, Mac Jones has a lower probability of success simply because he, he just doesn't have the production history of the other two players. But if you're looking at salary-based expectations, now he starts to look like a really interesting play. He's at, yeah, gosh. In a, what, in a what, game where nobody's trying, I think the ceiling for all these players are essentially the same. Maybe Mac Jones is a little bit behind Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, but ultimately nobody on the field is trying. He has just as much of a chance of hitting a deep ball as Mahomes and Herbert, in my opinion. Like the talent difference isn't wide enough. We're in a game where nobody's actually playing hard that it really makes a difference. That's going to be different than um, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. And Hunter Henry and whatever. 
the best receiver since Alabama. Back to Bama. That's right. That's right. He's back to Bama. Good for Mac Jones. And I mean, seriously, good for Mac Jones. Like being named as a Pro Bowl alternate as a rookie, you know, in a in a pretty darn tough division. He played very well. Definitely in that game manager role. You know, we have him projected for about eight and a half points still. But, you know, at a salary, that's going to be just fine. Uh, I still probably want to chase the ceilings of Herbert and Holmes. But like you said, it's probably the flex play instead of the captain play for me. All right, let's switch it over to the uh, NFC side. We, we have injury situations as well. I believe Russell Wilson is going to opt out of this game. So we got Kyler Murray and Kirk Cousins in this one as well. Just who we thought it would be at the beginning of the year. Well, for Kyler, we definitely would. But um, from there, I, you know, the, obviously there's a great receiving core in the NFC. But, you know, I guess Kyler kind of sticks out here as the one player who has a, a true ceiling if, you know, he's being compared to Kirk Cousins and splitting time evenly. Yeah, it, I view this as the exact same. Kyler's not going to be running at least as much. Historically, we've seen that. So I don't really see the ceiling between him and Kirk Cousins being all that different. This is a spot where I'll just save salary with Kirk Cousins. Do you, I don't I don't see that Russell Wilson's opting out of the game. Where did we see that? Because didn't he replace Tom Brady? Oh. Well, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be wrong. Yes, I knew Tom Brady dropped out of the He's game. He's not in the so, player pool though. Yeah. Uh, I, I, like, I, actually, I, I think gonna... what happened is, yeah, he didn't make it into my spreadsheet because his salary was zero. But now that I'm back on the page, yeah, we have a, a projection for him, which is a good sign that we at least at this point think he's going to be playing. You already gave the caveat up top. Don't hate us if some of these players we talk about end up dropping out before Sunday here. Honestly, the positional strategy is the most important part. Yeah, like what, Russell Wilson's not in the player pool. Okay. Oh, gotcha. So he's projected, but he's, uh, but he's only for the purposes. He's replacing Brady yeah. in the game, but he's literally not on DraftKings. Interesting. So it does, it does take away from the ceiling probabilities of Kyler Murray and Kirk Cousins while not necessarily letting you hedge directly off of him. That's an interesting wrinkle to this slate so far. He could be added. Like, we just don't know. We're recording this on, when, or excuse me, on Thursday. And we have no idea who's going to play and who's not. Yeah. <sighs> so like, okay. So like you said, it's the positional analysis, which makes the most sense here because we know historically the running quarterbacks, they're not running as much. They all have about the same pass attempts and they all have a similar ceiling. Is there a slight talent edge towards Murray over Kirk cousins? Absolutely. Is there a talent edge Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert over Matt Jones? For sure. Defenses aren't trying on the other side. Receivers are going to have open looks downfield. All of them have a somewhat equal probability of hitting them. So for me, I'm going to be paying down. And I'm going to be using a lot of quarterbacks in the flex. That's another thing too, like an overarching strategy here. People in showdown altogether max out their, their salary. You can play Kirk Cousins at a cheaper price, play some of the other players we'll get to at the other skill position players, leave salary on the table, have a unique roster. And honestly, in normal showdown, you're sacrificing projection in that instance. But on the showdown for the Pro Bowl, I don't even necessarily know that you're sacrificing projection because I would have I don't Kirk think you Cousins. Are. Yeah, I would have Kirk Cousins right up there with Murray. Wild to think about, but the salary difference and honestly, the, the projection difference is minimal compared to the salary difference. So I think that makes all the sense in the world from a DFS strategy standpoint. Uh, before we get into the running back position, though, uh, if you are a resident of New York, 
Sports betting is now live in your state. Welcome sports betting to your state with a fantastic bonus offer and actually all the bonus offers we have available here at Osmo. Just click either the link pinned in the live YouTube chat to browse all of our offers, including a bet $10, win 200 if any team scores a touchdown and a free NBA jersey if you bet $100 with Caesar Sportsbook. You can also take advantage of a $1,000 risk-free bet with BetMGM and up to a $1,500 burst match deposit bonus with Caesar's as well. These offers are just too good to pass up, so click that link pinned and start betting today. All right, the running back positions. We'll bounce it back over to the AFC. We've got the uh, rookie who's be, uh, used by far the most of any rookie in on uh, in, in any team, Najee Harris, and then Jonathan Taylor, the all-world running back for the Indianapolis Colts. We've also got Pat Ricard, who's basically a fullback, plays for the Ravens. Uh, we don't really expect him to be used all that much. But what are you feeling about this running back core? Are either of these players really piquing your interest because they have some of the highest salaries on the slate? They're honestly pretty good fades. So overarching strategy with running backs in particular. These are players that don't get a lot of usage overall, and they're players that have relatively low ceilings. When we look just historically back at the most recent Pro Bowls, it's Jay Ajayi that leads the group with just seven carries, and Ezekiel Elliott leads in yardage with 33. That was up through 2019 in the 2020 Pro Bowl. It was pretty similar. You had Dalvin Cook lead the NFC with 17 yards on four carries, and then you had Mark Ingram lead the AFC with five carries, 31 yards. Just for your reference, the NFC only ran the ball four times the whole game. They threw it 42 times and ran it four. That is certainly on seven. They are telling us what they want to do, Matt. Come on. They're basically playing glorified seven on seven already. So these teams aren't running the ball whatsoever, unless you have a pass catching back, which doesn't look like they're used very much either. Like Ezekiel Elliott led the team with two catches, 15 yards. Then on the other side was actually Derrick Henry, two catches, 22 yards in the most recent Pro Bowl. So this is a spot where this position is just wildly underutilized and it ends up being one of the most expensive spots on the slate. Unless you're just playing pure tournament strategy, like one of them scores the touchdown, it's full fade for me on the running backs. I dig it. So I guess the only thing you can say is both players, particularly Taylor, are talented enough where like they can really just change their DFS fate with one run. So in that regard, it's possible, but, and like we said earlier, because we don't really have strategy, excuse me, salary concerns really at all here, there's, it's not like we are struggling to get up to that top salary, but I don't think that it's somewhere we need to go. As you said, the yardage totals, particularly on the ground have been very low for these teams. Now, I do think that we should talk fullbacks for a minute and we'll use it to transition over to the NFC side of the ball too, because we've got Pat Ricard and Kyle Juszczyk from the San Francisco 49ers uh, on the NFC side of the ball, both players who have had plays sort of drawn up for them in the past. Uh, if Lamar Jackson was playing, maybe Pat Ricard would have a little bit higher of a boost for me, but I think fullbacks are players that you could actually take chances on. We saw Anthony Sherman recently have a huge game. Uh, I believe it was the 2019 Pro Bowl. He had 101 total yards and a touchdown. So I think especially when you're talking about getting unique, Pat Ricard and Kyle Juszczyk for the NFC aren't the craziest plays there are. 
Definitely not. And I mean, it's just a crazy game. You're going to see these teams try funny things, get random guys the ball that don't normally carry the ball. So the Ricard situation makes sense. I, Anthony Sherman, I think, might be a little bit of an outlier. But even Kyle Juszczyk, he's been in Pro Bowls before, and he's not your prototypical banger fullback. He's actually a good pass catcher, good pass blocker. So we've seen some kind of gadget-type plays for Juszczyk, where he has had productive games in the Pro Bowl already. So I like that he's already done it. I like his skill set compared to Ricard. And Juszczyk, I mean, if you do need to save salary, you probably don't. He's the second least expensive player on the NFC side. So he's going to slide right into lineups. No constraints whatsoever salary-wise with Juszczyk. I like that he's a good pass catcher too. So if you see any sort of like wheel route stuff, weird stuff on the NFC side, Juszczyk's a guy that could be used a lot. And again, they don't carry multiple fullbacks. So anytime there's a fullback on the field, it's going to be Juszczyk. It's going to be Ricard. It's not like the running back position where you have three, four of them splitting work. It's going to be all use check, all Ricard anytime they're on the field. And that's something that we can, you know, have some confidence in. I just can't, I can't help myself but laugh. Like, you know, at the end of the year, we get together for the NFL all-star game and we watch Kirk Cousins throw wheel routes to Kyle Juszczyk. I mean, you got to love it. Uh, that's exactly what I think of when I think great NFL. Actually, Juszczyk, he's a baller. Like, I love I love it. But it's just, it's kind of the point we were making earlier about how the players dropping out in this game sometimes can be the bigger story than the players actually playing. And of course, playing time. Mike Matthews in chat made me laugh too. I wouldn't say they never tried in the Pro Bowl. I remember Pro Bowls before 2008 where they were really tackling. AP kept trying to run through Ray Lewis and you could actually sack the QB too. Uh, anybody remember Sean Taylor? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, they definitely used to try in the Pro Bowl. Uh, that That is it's, something it's that- a little we, before my time. Ah. Uh, Man, it's uh, it's something that we don't see. It's something that we don't see anymore. That's for sure. And, and I do think there is a, a bit of business decisions being made, and I don't I don't blame them. As we said earlier, like no one no one wants anyone to get hurt. They just want a solid entertainment product. Uh, all right, going to the running back core on the NFC side of the ball. I think there's some really interesting game theory you could do here because obviously we're talking about running backs having high salary and not really performing up to salary-based expectations. That makes them large field tournament plays only in general. But look at this makeup of the three running backs on the NFC side. We've got Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, James Conner. And Dalvin Cook is a great rusher, but he's not used in the receiving game on his own team. And James Conner was... Second in the NFL in goal line carries, third in the NFL in touchdown. He's the goal line hammer of this offense. How about the over 15.5 receiving yards for Alvin Kamara in this game that they currently have on prize picks? That's where I'm sitting right now. I think that's a really interesting one. If I'm going to play any running back on this team, it's Kamara because we've seen him line up in the slot. We've seen him line up out wide on certain occasions. This year, he played 63 snaps in the slot, 71 from the wide alignment. And he has fantastic receiving chops. We know these teams are going to be throwing the ball at an elevated rate. So even on limited snaps for Kamara, if they're throwing the ball more, that should offset some of the playing concerns and him being such a solid pass catcher. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a catch out of the slot or out wide. Again, they're going to be trying to do like creative, cool, fan-friendly things. So as far as the prize picks prop goes, that's one I like as well, Matt. And I think Kamara is the most interesting running back, not just in the NFC, but on the entire slate overall, if you are targeting one because of his skill set and the 
kind of cool trick plays he could provide. I want them to do some things with, here's the, the thing that really most concerns me about Kamara and his receiving floor here. It's Debo Samuel, right? It's Debo Samuel, the wide receiver slash running back. Now, Kyle Shanahan's not the one calling plays for the NFC. At least I don't think so. Uh, but there, there is a situation where I think he was used so uniquely on his own team that it might be hard to replicate here with Debo. I agree with you. I mean, Alvin Kamara was number one in the NFL among running backs in route participation rate, number four in slot snap rate. So I do think that is the player most likely by far to be used as a receiver here. But I do think with Cook and Connor in the lineup, there's very, very little goal line upside for him. Am I correct there? It's more about receiving upside. And, you know, from a DFS standpoint, you never say never to a player like Kamara getting into the end zone. But I just feel like, the other two players in his backfield lend themselves to being put in when they're at the five yard line. For sure. And I mean, you look at the way this game is played historically, it's, it's typically not long sustained drives. It's a lot of big plays, chunk plays downfield, not a lot of like goal line plays. If drives stall, typically they're going to kick a field goal. No one's ever going to go for it on fourth. You're going to see it like, just very conservative gameplay outside of like the shots these teams take. So it's not really a situation where I think we get a lot of goal line carries for James Conner. So I think in that situation, James Conner maybe plays that role, but I don't even think that's a guarantee either. I think they literally might just split playing time, you know, like, okay, this is James Conner series. This is Kamara series. This is so-and-so series. So they don't come off the field. And then when their series is done, boom, next back in. So I don't even know if the goal line role is necessarily something we need to worry about. I think it's literally just how much scoring equity do these players have? How much equity do they have in the form of, can they get a big play? And for me, it's Kamara that has the most. So the goal line situation, it's definitely useful in the regular season, but I don't really see it being something that these teams will focus on here, but I could be wrong. Well, obviously we're talking about range of outcomes here, obviously, but there, I think that is solid analysis here. I was looking at the stats, the receiving stats, just comparing when I was trying to see if I wanted to go in on that prop for Kamara. Did you know James Conner averaged more receptions and receiving yards this year per game than Dalvin Cook? I didn't, I didn't think I'm Cook actually kind of surprised. You know, we definitely think of Conner as the goal line hammer and, and, Definitely, it was goal line usage and touchdowns that propelled him into this game. He played well, but when you score that often, you look real, real good for the Pro Bowl. I was just surprised to see how little usage Dalvin Cook gets in the receiving game, and I just honestly think it's a shame. They just need to it's use him more. True shame. Yeah. Uh, I think that kind of rounds it out for the running back position. Any last thoughts from either side, the AFC or the NFC, on this running back position? Just like when you're thinking about running backs versus pass catchers, who has a bigger chance of breaking off a big play? We like Kamara because you can catch balls. But, I mean, these running backs, we all know that when players get to contact, they're going to go down. When they're close to contact, they're going to go down. It's much, much more likely that a running back faces contact, you know, like running up the middle or doing a sweep than it is a receiver, like streaking downfield, beating coverage. So I think the big plays are far more lopsided in favor of the receivers and the tight ends, which we'll get to. We are brought to you today by Prize Picks. We have been talking about them all show already. And if you don't know about them, 
Now's the best time to get into prize picks. They are offering daily prop based contests and it, you can use promo code awesome to get up to a $100 first match deposit bonus. There's no sharks, optimizers or mass entries. You can use your knowledge of multiple sports with cross sport entries, download it in the app store, Google play, or go to prizepicks.com. And you can use our free player props tools that are designed specifically for prize picks. Uh, we'll keep mentioning some of our favorite plays. We've already mentioned two of them here. There's just a lot to do there. And if you have niche sport knowledge, there is no better place to play than prize picks. They've got you covered for just some, some wild sports. And as you would expect, not only do they have a bunch of pro bowl props already, but they've got you ready for the super bowl and all the basketball stuff you can you could want. So get in there, use promo code awesome. when you sign up to get that first match deposit bonus. To the wide receiver position, we go back over to the AFC, and um, this is a really good receiving core. I mean, both sides are, are super stacked, as you would expect, and it kind of is the uh, the era of the wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, Tyreek Hill, Deontay Johnson, Stephon Diggs, Hunter Renfro sneaks in there. I mean, he had an excellent year, but his target share kind of fell off. Uh, he's not quite at the caliber of the other three. Who's standing out, you know, when you compare them to their salary-based expectations for you? Again, it's the cheaper guys. I, I think the starters maybe get a little more run, so those are players you want to hone in on. But overall, a lot of these receivers are going to have similar opportunity. So I think on both sides, we can go the cheap route. But I, I think we should highlight just the game theory play first before we dive into, like, the play-by-play. And I want to know if you agree with this, but – I largely view the receivers as having a much larger ceiling than the running backs, but I also think they come with a little more ownership than tight ends. And there's also more receivers on the roster. So I think these are volatile plays, but plays that have a lot of upside. When we look historically, oftentimes it's receivers and tight ends that are the top score on the slate, but receivers, just there being so many of them and they come with generally higher ownership, they can be a little harder to predict. So these are players I want to mix into the captain spot and also play a lot of in the flex. And, you know, more so than take a stand, I want to be mixing and matching these guys. But for for overall theory, is that how you view receivers? Yeah, in general, I do. I do think we have to just like draw the talent line somewhere, right? Like Diggs, Johnson, and Hill are just... I'm not saying Renfro is a bad player. And honestly, his ability to separate underneath is elite and incredible for an offense. I don't, I'm not saying he's undeserving of this Pro Bowl selection. But in terms of big playability, when you're talking about Stefan Diggs having a 14.5 point median projection and Renfro having a 12.5 point median projection, I get it. It's DraftKings. There's the the points per reception possibility, but give me 4,600 Stefan Diggs over 3,800 Hunter Renfro all day long to be honest i i know that the the projection and the value differential isn't that much there but i just think the talent difference is especially when you talk in terms of big plays it's really hill and digs then deontay johnson who rightfully so is peppered with targets but he kind of overlaps with renfro to an extent too in terms of route tree so for me give me stefan digs at 4600 he's my favorite play on the afc side yeah, I, th- I think all these guys are pretty good separators. Like Renfro, Diggs, Tyreek, Johnson, they're all known for their route running. Uh, little game theory question for you. I, like, I don't have an answer to this, but do you think the receivers that separate a little easier could be targeted more because they're largely dealing with quarterbacks they don't have rapport with? You know, like, for example, we know this isn't a situation we'll have to worry about, but 
part of the reason like Jamar Chase and Devontae Adams are so successful is they're always covered and sometimes tightly, but Rodgers and Burrow are not afraid to give them the ball into coverage. And neither of those receivers are playing in this game, but for the purposes of this example, we know receivers like Renfro and Diggs largely functions in this capacity too. They're receivers that can create space. So do you view there being a potential edge in receivers that are just good at getting open? I think there might be, but I'm not sure. How much... That's a really solid thought. But the thing is, how true, much like, of all that, four of these guys are good at it? Yeah, I, that's true. So, like, how much can you really separate? Even if it is true, how much can you really use it to separate out who's going to be utilized more? How much is that offset, though, by the fact that they are playing glorified backyard football, passing every down, which will lead itself to increased aggressiveness from top tier quarterbacks that are throwing the ball. So how much of that kind of balances things out? You know, they're going to throw one-on-ones like if they see it any time, period. Yeah, um, for sure. And you know they want to make even it an if exciting it's, game. Yeah, even if it's zero separation, you know what I mean? Like they'll throw the jump ball. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, but it, it's certainly not a bad thought. And, and you know, I, I think if they're playing some sort of base coverage on the NFC side and a linebacker gets lined up against Renfro, you're going to see some really funny slow-mo of, of a really good linebacker getting absolutely cooked by Renfro for a really nice 16 yard gain that I'm not sure is going to help you in DFS <laughs> on the Ultimate, NFC side. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I never answered your question. I, I do agree with you. I like Diggs the most. So that, I just want to ask you that question, but I like Diggs. I think Hill's worth paying up for too. You're going to have to pay up for somebody. Like you're not going to punt every single position. Yeah, and there's just some fun. Yeah, there's just some fun too. Like I can play Mahomes Hill stacks like within this wild game. So that that is kind of fun to bet on the uh, the within team rapport possibility as well. But Diggs is by far my well. Um, We're headed over to the NFC side uh, here, and this is this is an insane lineup to me: Debo Samuel, Justin Jefferson, Mike Evans, C.D. Lamb. And uh, maybe Jakeem Grant mixes in there, but he's really there for special teams. So I don't think so when you got that core four. Holy moly. If Kirk Cousins can't get them the ball, he cannot play quarterback. He's got the rapport with Jefferson. That's right. Yeah, we, we don't have anything to worry about. And uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what, you know, Tyler Murray can do. Obviously, he has a decent receiving core, but nothing, nothing like this. I think we do see some, you know, weird designed plays where they basically just copy the 49ers and give Debo some run. But um, in general, I, I really like Jefferson. I really like Evans and uh, gosh, it's hard to tease this out. Evans at six, 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 like give me digs at 46, but I don't hate that. How about you? Evans is okay. I would prefer CD lamb at four, eight. I don't see there being much of a difference. He's a guy that plays a lot in the slot with Dallas. We'll see where he lines up here, but he's a guy that's more of a separator. The player who's least capable of separating among every receiver on the roster, I think is Evans, which is crazy to say because Evans is an elite receiver himself. Evans is largely dependent on like those touchdown scoring plays. And again, sometimes they're coming on big plays, but a lot of times they're coming close to the end zone where Brady was so successful so Evans might be a guy that comes in a little over on for me, but again, you're, you're literally just splitting hairs here. Love Evans is a player and he easily could have a big game himself, but you know, we need to draw the line and make some of these decisions. So for me, it's going to be more with the separator and CD lamb, more of the downfield talent. And then obviously Jefferson and Samuel, they're just in a different price tier, but no issues getting to them. Yeah. 
CD Lamb fell off. I really fell off at the end of the year. Like I'm not saying like the long term potential for him is is we're still on track to have him be one of the best players in the league, but I feel like he kind of got in with the more of the beginning half of the year than the last half where he Amari Cooper was the more productive receiver by far in Dallas the last few games there. Um still, still he's he's an excellent wide receiver. I, I do think I do think the little rapport between Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins will help him. I do think Debo Samuel is the most likely to lead the the wide receiver core in touches. Is that wrong? Just simply because they probably gave him a rush or something like that. I think you're probably right. He's okay, the most expensive, but like you said, no real worries with salary. So you could get to Debo easily. And I do think he's the safest in terms of touches. Yeah. Yeah. And I still don't know if the salary is worth it. We, I was looking at it. There's a, we've averaged two receivers, either wide receiver or tight end per year in the pro bowl with four catches or more. And really the absolute ceiling is something like seven catches. So you're really hoping for, you know, one-on-one in the end zone or a catch, a big catch and run. And so I think there is a little bit of edge to go with someone like a Samuel, who is one of the best yak guys we've seen in a long time. Uh, let's before we go into the tight end position we'll uh we'll jordan you want to do the awesome hall of fame real quick talk about uh some of our recent winners i can't hear you but all right he's gonna pull it up but yeah both okay do you think as we as we wait here do you think uh devin duvernay matthew slater and jakeem grant the wide receivers that were picked on for special teams purposes do you think they make any impact whatsoever in the DFS side of things, or are you not getting that crazy? No, I think they need a kick return. Like, I don't think any of them get offensive snaps. Well, you, you play like Jakeem Grant and then the NFC defense and try to double dip. In, in you could do that. Defense has been pretty good historically. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I mean, I, that's a, a play that I'm definitely going to go towards. Um, and I know we don't have them on the position by position breakdown, but I'm going to be heavy on the defense here because, again, when you have situations where no one's really tackling that much, if a ball gets tipped in the air and there's an interception, you could get like a pick six a lot easier than you would in a typical game. Jordan, did you, is that the thumbs up? You ready to roll? Okay, yeah. The Awesome Hall of Fame is here once again, uh, letting you know all of our top winners. All you have to do to join the Awesome Hall of Fame is download the Awesome profile pic at awesome.com slash avatar. Tweet your wins to at Awesome H-O-F on Twitter, and you could win a free month, or you win a free month of Awesome Plus Platinum. There are some terms, I believe there's only one month free that you can get per year here. All right, let's get into our recent winners. Eight game, ugly underscore eight game on Twitter. Thanks again to the great team. Uh, their incredible advice and helpful tools have helped me sustain success. They have taught a man to fish in DFS. Ah, you love to see it with a nice little NBA bank there. Next up, it is X Xmas time with a $300 takedown in the NBA. Awesome HOF, first time being in the top three. Let's go. Yeah, we love to see that. Love to see that. It's uh, Praz Racing with a $1,500 first place takedown at Osmo HOF. Unpack the bags, honey. Mortgage is getting paid. Oh, wait, seven game slate tonight. I can't lose on a lucky seven gamer. Hey, babe, we have until the fifth, don't we? Oh, yeah. Fire me up. All right. <laughs> 
I dig it. All right, next up, Casey Mack with the second place $750 takedown, 178.8 points in the NHL 10K four check. Hit, he doesn't even have he doesn't have the avatar, but he just tags us. We're ready to. He's got a he's got a cornhole game of the American flag. All right, he's still in. Um, uh, I finally emerged in these NHL streets at Osmo HOF. Uh, says Nant 0012 with the thousand dollar takedown for second place, and finally we've got. Crazy Pucker with first of nearly 10,000 entrants, a $150 win uh, at HOF. He at awesome HOF, he tweets at, and uh, he has the avatar. You love to see it, Crazy Pucker, and congratulations to your first place win and to all of you for winning here. All right, we're going to round this out with the tight end position for incredibly incredibly talented tight ends in this slate travis kelsey mark andrews on the afc side george kittle kyle pitts on the nfc side who among those four are your favorites yeah so overall tight end strategy these players generally are coming a little under owned there's fewer of them compared to receivers and they're used a lot like wide receivers to begin with so they have similar ceilings to receivers generally making them fantastic plays on Pro Bowl slates. That's been the edge in the past. Again, it's a new year. We get more and more information. So we'll see what the edge is this year. But if you're just playing historics, tight ends have been fantastic players to target. I do have a preference on both these rosters towards Kyle Pitts and Mark Andrews. They're just the more receiver type tight ends among the pairs on each roster. A guy like Kyle Pitts, the fact that he's even labeled a tight end is kind of laughable because he never plays in line. He's a, he's a wide receiver with a tight end designation. Like Jimmy Graham back in the day when he petitioned to be a wide receiver and he was playing like 30% of the snaps in line, like Kyle Pitt should do this. He never plays in line. And I'll be curious to see if they use him in line during the Pro Bowl, but I highly doubt it. So if the guy's basically a glorified wide receiver that you could play a tight end, give me a lot of Kyle Pitts. See, that's my concern here, Matt, though, because you've got a lot of really, really good slot weapons at the running back position and at the wide receiver position that are kind of clogging the way for Kyle Pitts in a way we would not see within the Atlanta offense by any means. So I'm actually a little nervous there. He's obviously popping in our value rankings when you compare projections to salary-based expectations, but I'm actually leaning towards George Kittle. I know the salary differential is pretty big. 1K is, is a lot on a showdown slate, but I don't think there are really any salary concerns here we can find a thousand in our player pool this week and i just i don't know i i agree with you obviously the with the usage you're factually correct with kyle pitts he was used completely like on a on a completely different level than those tight ends of the past like jimmy graham uh, he's a glorified wide receiver and maybe from a franchise tag standpoint he maybe should start thinking about that sooner rather than later but Honestly, give me Kittle at 4,200. The only difference I see is like, I'm trying to get to digs at 46. And so why not try to just get that extra 400 if I'm going up there? Eh, I, I totally see where you're coming from though. I mean, you could play a roster that's like three $30,000 in salary. You could leave like 20K in the table, just fine. Like probably not sacrifice more than a couple points in projection, which yeah. I don't think anybody will do. So if you wanted to play yeah. digs and pits and just completely punt off your roster, like your projection shouldn't change that much. 
don't you think? Uh, ex exactly. Like, <laughs> like yeah, what, what is saying, the difference yeah, you... between a $50,000 full max salary roster and a $30,000 one that uses digs and pits and like cousins? Oh yeah. I'm absolutely, when I use fantasy cruncher this week, there is absolutely no minimum salary that I'm I think that in might there. be the biggest edge. Yeah. Just leaving, leaving like Copious over a thousand on the table yeah. is, is possible here. Right. Yeah. We're talking a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Kelsey, as, as Steven in chat says, he's a glorified wide receiver too. And he's playing with his quarterback and they're a little annoyed that they're not playing next Sunday. So you wonder if there's just like a little bit extra oomph that they put into this game. I don't know. That's all narrative based, but yeah, I think Andrews, Kelsey and Andrews like Andrews plays more out wide than Kelsey, like by far, it's not even close. Andrews yeah. barely plays in line himself. He plays more in line than Pitts, but he he basically is a wide receiver. It's it's definitely true. It's definitely true. And and again, like it's not like they can't run a route when they're lined up in line. It's just they don't run deep. It, well, I mean, like really what, helping their score. Yeah. What is Kyle Pitts going to do at NFC Pro Bowl practice? And they're like, all right, here's this play for you <laughs> yeah. in line. Like they're going to teach him the tight end position in one week. Yeah, he's like, man, I I don't. He's like, man, I don't play this position. I play out wide. I'm your ex receiver. <laughs> they call me tight end, team. but that that's Hayden Hurst Absolutely. job. I'm I'm the receiver. Yeah. Where's all Hayden? right, all right. I'm in. He's 3,200, and and he's he's a great value. All right, all right. I'm in. I'm in. All right. We got a couple minutes here, and we got to talk some kickers and defenses. But before we get out of here, remember keep it right here at 12 because we got the fan up strategy show with Greg and Terry. But give us a like and a subscribe to this channel so that you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much, much more. Once you subscribe, also hit that notification bell so that you know when new shows are always going live. You guys know what to do. And thanks, guys, for hanging out on this Pro Bowl strategy show. We're happy to cover this stuff. And, uh, you know, even if it is kind of a wildly unpredictable slate, it's really, really fun to dig into this stuff. Uh, all right. Kickers and defenses, they are they are very valid in terms of projection versus salary-based expectations, but they are also just traditionally players that have over uh, overperformed here, particularly the defenses. I'm going to be interested in playing one defense in pretty much every single lineup I play. How about you? 100%. This is a big preseason strategy. Uncertain playing time across the board. What's one position we can lock in that's going to play the entire game? Well, it turns out it's 11 players and it's the defense on both sides. Guaranteed to be playing you the whole game, accruing points, whereas all of the skill position players are not. So with your defense in this game, it's not like preseason. In preseason, we're playing like Ian Books and these terrible quarterbacks. We are playing legitimate good quarterbacks, playing against them. But at the same time, you're going to see a lot of risky plays downfield for the entertainment mm -hmm. factor of the game. A lot of potential turnovers, not in the way of like sacks. You probably won't see it anything like that. You probably won't see any fumbles, but you're going to see potential turnover plays for these defenses. And if they're going to be out on the field for the whole game with a multitude of these opportunities, they make a ton of sense. Yeah. When playing time dwindles for the rest of the player pool, go with the certainty on the defensive side of the ball. Now the floor is usually better than the ceiling here, but the ceiling for all of these other players has diminished as well. So I don't think the ceiling for their for the defenses is 
is lower than a typical game. In fact, it's probably higher, right? And it's lower for literally every other skill position here. So I think at 2,200 for the AF, uh, AFC and 2,000 for the NFC, they are the best values on the slate in terms of floor and ceiling. I will definitely have some of them at the captain position, as weird as that sounds. I will certainly have ones with two of the defenses. And then we go to the kickers, where I feel a little bit different. There is a salary differential. They are the lowest salary players, but I feel like the ceiling isn't quite there for the kickers in this game. They're just not going to be going for that many kicks on either side. I think the de the, the defensive ceilings are much, much higher here. Am I wrong there? I agree with you. I think kickers that are very safe. Again, they're going to be playing the whole time. Anytime there's a kick, they're accruing points. So kickers and defenses to me are very good, low risk options, cash options, particularly kickers. And it's the, the ceiling you talk about, the difference there is like a kicker just can't score a touchdown. A defense easily could. And on preseason slates, Pro Bowl slates, a touchdown is vastly more important than a regular season touchdown. All these players are going to have limited opportunities. So whoever secures that six points, that's going to give you a huge edge. And if it happens to be the defense, even better, they're cheap and they're going to be accruing points in other ways through the whole game. So ultimately, kicker and defense, very safe play, slight lean towards the defenses. We've had a defense in the top four scorers in the Pro Bowl in each of the last Four, uh, four Pro Bowls here, 2017, 18, and 19. Uh, and, and so I do think that... And and 20, there were five interceptions thrown. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, 20 was the, the bonanza. So that's like a wild one. But uh, Jordan Burkhart, Matthew Slater's dad, Jackie, was my basketball coach in fifth grade. Well, now we're rooting for Matthew Slater again. That's great. You know, DFS play of the day. That's awesome, man. Dude, there were um, nine turnovers in the Pro Bowl in 2020. Nine. That's a lot of turnovers. I mean, I think that's the I think that's the real takeaway here is that kickers are floor. If you're playing cash games, which I'm not, like, sure, they make sense. But the defenses with such a minimally higher salary make way, way more sense to me. All right, it's noon here. We got to get out of here. Any last thoughts about this wild Pro Bowl slate, Matt? I think we hit on it most. Just I think the biggest edge, we everybody knows about the tight end edge at this point. I think it's going to be leaving salary on the table. I really do. At the end of the day, your natural instinct is going to be to max out that salary. And it's not just leave like 1000 on the table here and there. I think you could get crazy and leave like $20,000 in the table in some of these rosters with no problem and still have a salary or a roster that projects extremely well. So that's going to be an approach I'm taking. I dig it. I dig it. I'm going to be taking a few flyers here and there on the fullbacks. Flyers on fullbacks. Uh, Pat Ricard, not so much, but Kyle Juszczyk maybe sneaking into the end zone here. Maybe I'm chasing that Anthony Sherman game too hard here, but I think it's not the worst idea in the world. All right, guys, this was a lot of fun. We will be back with all of the Super Bowl 56 coverage that you could want next week. Uh, make sure to keep it right here for the fan up strategy show with Greg and Terry for Matt, Matt underscore Gajeski on Twitter. I am Matt Savoka at Draftaholic on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>